chapter 1, verses 2 to 12. This is the text where the sermon is based in James chapter 1, verses 2 to 12. Listen to the word of our God. And as you listen, worship Him as you understand His truth. James 1, 2 to 12. Hear the word of our God. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and toast. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but the rich in that he is made low, because as the flower of the grass he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with the burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth. And the grace of the fashion of it perisheth. So also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Amen. May our God be praised our God by confessing our faith with the Apostles Creed saying I believe in God the Father Almighty maker of heaven and earth and in Jesus Christ his only begotten Son our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Ghost born of the Virgin Mary suffered under Pontius Pilate was crucified dead and buried he descended into hell the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost. I believe in a holy Catholic Church. The communion of saints. The forgiveness of sins. The resurrection of the body. And the life everlasting. Amen. I call your attention now again to James chapter 1, verses 2 to 12. And the title of the message is Facing Trials. It's a continuation of the same theme of how to handle and to face suffering and trials as we saw this morning. Now with the text of James chapter 1, verses 2 to 12. Facing Trials. 
Do you want to know if your faith is genuine and true? Then how you face trials will reveal what kind of faith you have many times. Um, suffering has the ability to, to show where our hope and faith really is. And I think this text will teach us this. Face your trials, Christian, with perseverance until the end. And then you receive your crown of life. Because you love the Lord. Yes, face your trials, Christian, with perseverance until the end. First, James will teach us this with the attitude in verse 2. The attitude. You see that in verse 2? My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations. Here the word temptations, I think, is in this first 10 words or 12 verses um, as trials. Uh, it can be translated both ways, temptations and trials. But here we're going to focus on trials. And he says, there is an attitude, right? Right? What is the attitude? He commands it. What is the command? Count it what? Count it what? With some joy? With certain joy? No, James says, with all joy. With exceeding joy. Whenever what? Whenever you fall into some trials? Is that what he says here? Into field trials? No. He says, every kind, every kind of trials, diverse temptations and trials. So it can be family trials, relationship trials, marriage trials, health trials, church trials, persecution, career trials, job trials. Financial trials, accidents, you name it. Any kind of trial. Now I want you to pay attention to what he's saying here. He's not, he's not suggesting or giving you a recommendation to count on all joy in your troubles. It's not a suggestion. He commands it. It's an order. Right? So in the midst of sorrow, he's saying this. Find a window. Find a channel of joy. In the midst of your tears. In the midst of your lamenting, pain. He's saying you must be joyful. Somehow, you should find a channel, a window of joy. I think this is very serious. I think it's very, very serious. Because what James is saying is this. Rejoice in your affliction. Rejoice in your cancer. Rejoice in your failure. Rejoice in your sickness. Rejoice in your pain. Rejoice in your unemployment. Rejoice in your loneliness. Rejoice in your loss. Rejoice. 
It's a very serious matter. And that reminds me of a sociologist called Philip Riff. He once said this. He said, in the past, people did not go to church to be made happy. But people went to church to have their miseries explained to them. Let me say this again. In the past, people did not go to church to be made happy. But to have their miseries explained to them. I think this is deep. But, but I also think that James go deeper than Philip Riff. Because James is not saying that uh, your miseries will be explained in the church. Simply to explain your miseries. He's commanding us to go even deeper. He's saying you must not only have your miseries explained. But you have to find joy in your miseries. You have to find joy in your trials. Now, I know this is hard. This is not natural to us as sinful people. I feel how hard this is, and I'm trying to convey my feeling to you. But as an, as an application, let me try to explain this to you with the perspective that it was, that is helpful for me in order to obey this command. It's a biblical perspective, I think. Have you noticed that many times in our lives, many times, we are more unhappy, we are more heartbroken, and we are more down in our sufferings than we are in our sins? I have noticed that in my life. We are, we are more sorrowful, we have more grief, and we shed more tears because of our afflictions than we do so because of our sins. That's what happens with me. Do you know why is that the case? I've seen people in my homeland shedding tears because of their dog. And because of their sins. Because for us, practically, experientially, and without even noticing, unconsciously, we think that there's more evil in suffering than there is evil in sin. That's the reality. For us, many times in our lives, thoughts and action. A hell of suffering is infinitely worse than sin. And I think that's the reason why several times in our troubles, it is inconceivable to rejoice in suffering. I think that's the reason why I have difficult time to rejoice in my sufferings. Because suffering is the worst thing in the world for me. Worse than sin, practically. But, brothers and sisters, if we reason biblically, like the Puritan Jeremiah Burroughs wrote his book, Evil of Evils, 
that sin is sin is infinitely worse than a hell of suffering, then we can start to understand what James is teaching us here in this passage and apply it to ourselves. If we understand that the smallest, the smallest sin imaginable has more evil in it than the greatest suffering that you can think of, then we will be open to understand what it means to rejoice and be joyful in trials as James continues his explanation in this letter, in verses 3 and 4. If we have that in mind, that a little bit of sin has a huge evil in it, much, much greater than the greatest suffering that you can think of, then you will be open to understand the reasoning of James and start to rejoice in your troubles. Okay, you say, but why? Because of this. Because you will see that God has a reason in this tiny evil called suffering. So he's saying, persevere. Face your trials with perseverance until the end. To receive your crown of of life. Because you love the Lord. Having the attitude of joy in your trials. Second, second A is going to give us now the argument of what he just said. He gave us the attitude. Now the argument. Verses 3 and 4. He says this. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. You see, knowing this, he's giving, giving you, giving me an argument. He's saying this, your suffering has a reason or purpose. What is it? To test your faith, and as you endure it patiently, You grow in faith, lacking nothing. And will make you a mature Christian. That's it. Suffering is testing your faith so that you may endure. And with endurance, you may lack nothing. So that you may be a mature Christian. And because of that, you should rejoice. That's the argument of James here. So clear. So that you may be able to look more like Jesus. Going through trial and difficult and refining your faith and endure it. And after all of that, you become a mature Christian looking more like your Savior, Jesus Christ. And that is the reason why you rejoice. That you should know. That what I should know is this. You see the argument? It's so clear, I think, in the text. But let me try to explain this to you through a lesson again. I learned from the Bible. And I think it will be application for all of us too. Have you noticed that in the Bible, God often sends blessings as curse to the wicked, to the unbeliever. And He sends curses as blessings to the believer. Have you noticed that? Yes. I'm not saying all the time, 
Every time not saying that. Neither does the Bible say that. Does the Bible say that? But yes, sometimes it does. God gives prosperity, success, and good health to the unbeliever. And many times he gives troubles, hardship, affliction, loss to a believer. Why? Why is that? Isn't it this, the famous question in the Psalms? Why did the wicked prosper? Right? Asaph asking the Psalms. Why did the wicked prosper? Do you know why? Because often blessings become curses and curses become blessings. Again, do you know why? Because the more God gives goods, success, power, influence, money to the wicked. I'm not saying all the time. I think I'm saying he does it. The more the wicked or the unbeliever is distant and far away from the most important and greatest good of the universe, God Himself. And the more God gives sufferings, afflictions, trials, pain, loss to the believer, the more he seeks God, the more he is dependent on God, the more he treasures God, the more he has God. You see, it is just like what my mom used to do with me when I was a kid. As an illustration for you to understand this point. Uh, in my homeland, uh, our school, when we are kids, we, it starts at 7 a.m. And then it ends at uh, 11.30. And our main meal is at noon. And my mom did not allow me to bring snacks like chocolate and, uh, and the candies and stuff like that to school. Because she did not want me to lose the main meal at home. Um, when I got home, I should eat a good and rich meal in nutrients. So that's why she did not allow me to bring chocolates and candies. It was hard, you know. As a kid, seeing everybody else, all the kids having fun and candies and chocolates, and I could have any, I suffered. I really wanted to eat candy like everybody else. But my mom knew that the candies and the junky food would rob me from the great meal that would really feed me and give me the right nutrients for my growth. And many times, because of our sinful hearts, no, not, no problem with money. But the problem is our hearts. So many times, the prosperity of this world is like that. They just give us a temporary and fake sense of satisfaction. But like the junky food, they rob your soul from having the good nutrients that the meal would give you. They keep you from the great banquet, God Himself. Many times that's what happens. Because of our sinful hearts. While the suffering and trials are hard to deal with. They show you where your faith really is. That's true. It opens up our hearts bare. To show where our faith really resides. 
They show that your hunger, your satisfaction is in God. And therefore you endure and you grow in grace and you become more mature like Jesus is. And therefore you rejoice. You see, on one hand, you see that sin has more evil than suffering. On the other hand, you see that this tiny evil in suffering has a purpose to make you grow in faith in God. And therefore, you rejoice. And many times you are suffering, not because you have sinned in the past. Not because you have did something wrong in the past. Maybe you are just like Job. But God is using you to even refine even more your faith. And you grow in grace and be just more like Jesus Christ. Like he did with Job at the end. To know God not by only hearing God. But see him as he is. And therefore you rejoice. But then you say I know that. I already knew all of that. The problem is, you see, is when the trials come, when the problem arrives, when the difficulty knocks on my door, I do, know, I do not know how to apply what I just learned from James here. That's the problem. I know all of that. It's just a reminder. The question is, I have tried many times. Why, When the trouble appears, then I do not know how to face it with joy. With that kind of attitude. And let the argument sink in in my hearts. And then live it out that truth. To face trials with perseverance until the end with that perspective. That's the problem. One thing is to speak about it. One thing is to listen to it. Another thing is to live it out. Then you lack, and I lack something, right? Then we lack something. See, in verse 4, the verb wanting is the same word for lacking in verse 5. And many times we lose the connection between verse 4 and 5 because of that uh, missing word there. Wanting is lacking nothing. And then he begins in verse 5. If any of you lack, you see? There's a connection between verse 4 and 5. So if we do not know how to apply those truths in our lives, what are we lacking? We are lacking something. What is it? Wisdom. And that's exactly what you see in verse 5. I don't know how to face it the way he's saying here. Then ask. And here's our third point. Face your trial with perseverance until the end so that you may receive the crown of life because you love the Lord. First, seeing the attitude of joy. Second, seeing the argument. And third, see the approach. The third A, the approach. What is the approach? Let us read verse 5 through 8. It says this. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not and shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and toast. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything from the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So what is the approach? Ask for wisdom with faith. That's the summary of these verses. 
5 through 8. That's the approach. That is how you'll be able to be joyful in the midst of your trial. And God will answer your prayer. Ask for wisdom. Be like Solomon and ask for wisdom. And God will grant you that. That's what the text says. Notice something very important. I think it's very important in the text. The text doesn't say that God will solve your problem. Or that your problem will go away. The text doesn't say that your problem will be done. If you pray. No. James says that in your suffering. Just like we heard this morning. James says that in your suffering. Not out of your suffering. But in your suffering. God will give you wisdom to face it. Well he may be. Solve. uh, He may solve your problem. Yes he can. And And sometimes he does. But you don't have a promise about this here. It is a promise for you to have wisdom on how to face it with joy, with the same reasoning that He gave us here. But there's one condition. You should ask with faith and not with double-mindedness. Here's the language very important for us to to understand here in James. Double-mindedness. It's a language of loyalty. It's a loyalty issue when he talks about double-mindedness. It's like your mind is divided. That you want to serve two lords at the same time. Just like what Jesus taught us in the Gospels. When you go to James chapter 4 verse 8. He's going to use the same word there again. The man who is double-minded. And the context of James 4 is about spiritual adultery. When people are confessing that they serve the Lord God, but in their lives they're serving serving idols. They are Christians. They have their feet in different places. And here's the point. Suffering strips our hearts bare before God and ourselves to see where our hope and faith ultimately reside. It will reveal our idols so clear to us. Yes. It will show us through fire and furnace and troubles to see where our faith really is. It is scary stuff to see the ugliness of our hearts through suffering. And he's saying this, you pray with asking for wisdom, with faith, without unfaithfulness of your part. Your faith should be in God alone. Not in God in your father. Not in God in your money. Not in God in your strength. Not in God in your wisdom. Not in God in your experience. Not in God in the state. Not in God in your superstition. Not in God in your job. Not in God in your education. No. He's saying... Trust in God alone to use whatever instrument He wants to use for His glory. It can be anything, but ultimately your hope, your faith, your confidence, your trust, your life, your love, your joy, ultimately is in your God. Don't be like the wave of the sea, being tossed back and forth because of your double-mindedness. Because of my double-mindedness. 
No, we have to go to the Lord in our closets by ourselves. Have you done that? Are you doing that? Am I doing that? And a struggle. That's the approach. You go to your Lord and you say with faith, Lord, it is hard. Oh, Lord, I cannot understand. I don't know why I'm going through this. Why, oh, Father? Why are you doing this to me? It is so hard and it cannot, I cannot endure it. I cannot persevere by myself. I don't understand it. It's way too big for me. And you cry out just like the psalmist, right? But with faith, questioning and asking and saying, How long? How long, oh God? Because I cannot endure anymore. And you grab your God by prayer with faith, just like Jacob did. And say to him, I will not let you go unless you bless me. I will not let you go. And you struggle and you wrestle and you fight with prayer, in faith, asking for wisdom to handle and to face that trial that you cannot handle by yourself, by your own strength, by your own wisdom, by your own effort. That's the approach. That's how we need to go to our God in faith, asking for wisdom. But then James will give us a case study in verses 9 through 11. Yes, we need to face trials with perseverance until the end and receive the crown of life because we love the Lord. First, the attitude with joy. Second, seeing the argument that God is working in us to be a mature Christian. Third, with the approach of praying with faith, asking for wisdom. And fourthly, and lastly, it's going to give us the archetypes, verses 9 through 11. Arc, archetypes. 9 through 11. See the archetypes there? Let the brothers of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted. The same word there, rejoice, as we saw in verse 2. Rejoice in what? In that he is exalted. But the rich, in that he is made low, because as the flower of the grass he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with the burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth. So also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. Isn't it a beautiful literature? It is so well written, so beautifully written. The truth is, is in a way here that conveys beauty. It's a paradox. With the poor and the rich, you see? He's talking about first the poor. In verse 9, let the brother of low degree, let the poor brother rejoice. You see, he's in trial. And he needs, now he talked about that wisdom in verse 2. To rejoice in all trials. Now he's going to give us a case study. An example or a sample of that truth in daily life with the poor Christian. And he's saying, look at your situation and your low condition. Your humiliation. And you should boast. You should rejoice that you are exalted. 
Know that your status ultimately is not in this world. You may have nothing here, but because you are a Christian, you are in Christ, you have everything. You have the whole world. You have eternal life. You have the kingdom. That's exactly what you see in chapter 2, verse 5, when James says, Hearken, my beloved brother, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, wretch in faith, and heirs of the kingdom, which he hath promised to them that love him? And that's how the poor should reason and rejoice. You're going through trials, you're going through problems, but you have to reason that even though you are naked here, that you don't have a penny here, but you are cohere with Jesus Christ. And you want everything. Like, like, like Paul says in Romans chapter 4, with the covenant of Abraham, we are owners of the whole world. But then he, the paradox now is with the rich. And you rich men, you have to think that you are humbled. You are the one who who should be made low. Why? Because you, not your riches only. Yes, you're rich. One day you have it, another day is gone, right? But it's interesting that he's not talking about the stuff. He's talking about the person here. He said the rich is that he... Because as the flower of the grass, he, not the stuff, he, the rich man, shall pass away. It's like the, the, the flower of the grass. One day is beautiful, it has all the glory, and one day is nothing. You go away so fast. Your life is like this. The Bible talks about it all the time. And it's saying, don't... Put your pride, your boast in those things in yourself. Because you are nothing before God. You are nothing. Remember Isaiah 40? What God says about the nations? The nations, not persons. Nations. God says, you are less than nothing, nations, before me. This is madness, how we think as human beings. It's madness. It's not wisdom. It's how, you see how beautiful it is? How he applies that truth in daily basis? How we are prone to think that way? Because we have some stuff of success in life. That we think that we have everything in control and everything will be okay. He's saying you are nothing. How can you be exalted and proud because of this? Even a little insect in Brazil, if you are rich, if that insect... Uh, Bites you, you're gone. Like that. Our lives are ephemeral. You see the archetypes? How he's doing here? To apply the wisdom and rejoice in the trials because of the kingdom of God and how he's working in us with eternal perspective and hope and faith. To remind ourselves and to take us out of madness and give us a wise perspective. But here's the application. I think that I want you to, to take it home, to face your trials. He's given us two situations, right? Rich and poor. Two conditions. 
prosperity and poverty. You see there? And here's the principle and the application for all of us in this study case. He's saying this. In any situation or condition you might, you might find yourself into, you are being tested. Either rich or poor. Either in success or in failure. Either in wealth or in loss. You will face trial. And you will not be the same. In whatever situation you are into, you will change either for better or for worse in your trial. When a tsunami of problems arrives, either you will be saved in the ship or you will sink in the water. But you will not stay the same. Do you hear me? Do I hear myself? I think that's the application for all of us. No matter what you are. At what situation in your life. For example, in wealth. More responsibility. More worries. More anxiety. More problems instead of solution. Actually, many troubles in families. And fights in families. Because of money. Not not, despite the money. And instead of joy, it produces pride. It will refine and try your faith to see if your security, if your worth, if your identity, if your beauty are in God or in money ultimately. That's the trial. That's the study case here. It will show you if you have wisdom. You see, what he just taught us in verses 2. Three, four, five, until here, until verse 8. If you have wisdom to consider everything as flower of grass, including you, that you will fade away and will view where your faith really is. That is so practical. But in poverty as well, right? Deaths, nakedness, hunger, sickness, loneliness. These things, instead of joy, they produce bitterness many times, anger, frustration, self-pity, indifference, violence. It will try and refine your faith to see the same things. The rich already has it. And the poor is expecting with hope to have it in the future. But it's the same thing. It will refine and retry your faith to see if you're worth Poor man, your security, your identity, your greatness are not dependent on money, but on God alone as your treasure. What a joy if you have that God as your treasure above everything else. Yes, James is teaching us to face our trials with perseverance until the end. So that we may have a crown of life because we love the Lord. And that's exactly how he ends this section in verse 12. You see there in verse 12? And then we'll end and conclude with this. It says this, verse 12. Blesses the man that endureth temptation or trial. For when he or she is tried, he or she shall receive the crown of life. Which the Lord hath promised to them. They love him.
I think it's a conclusion because you see the same words of verses 2, 3, and 4 here in verse 12. So clear. After he taught us everything that we saw, and then he concludes with that truth. So I want you to go home. Go home. But answering these questions, okay? Again, don't think about anybody else. And I should not think about anybody else. Don't think about yourself. And I think about myself. And try to answer in your own hearts these probing questions. Do you want to be happy, blessed, as verse 12 says? Endure the test and receive the crown of life? Do you? Do you really desire that? Do you long for that? Then let me ask you this. Do you love the Lord? Do I love the Lord? Do you really love God? Do you love Him more than your life? Do you? Because in verse 12, it says so clear, it's the promise to them that love Him. So do you love God so much that you find joy in your suffering? Do you? Do you love God so much that you are able to think that sin is worse than a hell of suffering? Do you? Do I? Do you love God so much that you can call a curse actually a blessing in your life because you can depend more on God and have Him as your treasure? Do you love God so much that you spend time with Him in prayer, struggling by yourself, just you and Him in the closet, struggling with faith and asking and and wrestling and saying, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Do you love Him that much? Do you love God so much that in any situation or circumstance you are faithful so that no matter where you are, up or down, rich or poor, you cling to Him, do you? Do you love Him so much with all your soul, with all your heart, with all your mind? Or do you love Him even with imperfect love? With sinful love, but you love Him nevertheless, do you? Is God your joy? Is God your love? Is God my joy and my love? Because with love, you'll be able to handle and face any trial with perseverance until the end to receive the crown of life. Yes, with love, you can do anything. You know why? Not because of your love or effort to love God by yourself. No. I want you to go home, not with a, merely with a burdened conscience. I want you to go home with a hopeful heart. Because with love, not yours, not by your own effort to love God, but because Jesus loved you first. Go home with that in mind, looking unto Jesus. 
Because in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2, we have all the same words that you have here in James. It's amazing. You can see that later at home and compare both, both texts. In Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 says this, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the what? Who for the what? Who for the joy that was set before him, he endured what? Do you remember he endured the worst trial ever imaginable? He endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Because of his, the joy was set before him. What joy? What joy? And you may say the joy that he had with the Father and the Holy Spirit. That's true. But there's another joy that is true as well. The joy you, for this joy, you Christian, you beloved Christian, he endured the cross, the worst trial ever imaginable. He loved you so much that he found joy in the most painful trial ever imagined on that cross. He loved you so much that on the cross, your sin on him was worse than eternal of suffering. He loved you so much that on the cross, the curse literally became blessing for us. He loved you so much that in any circumstance or situation, in heaven or in hell on that cross, He was faithful. To save you by sheer grace and to bring you home to the house of the Father. To live with him for eternity. If you see the love of Jesus like that. Then you will love him. And believe in verse 12 that says. Blessed is the man and the woman and the kid. That endureth temptation. For when she or he is tried. He shall receive the crown of life. Which the Lord hath promised to them. That love May God has enabled us to face trials with perseverance until the end so that we may receive that crown of life because we truly love Him. But because He loved us first with an eternal and infinite love in Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father, I am, I am afraid. And I probably can speak for all of us here that we also are afraid that we cannot do anything without you. To be like Peter, saying that uh, I will never abandon you like Peter said. Everybody else can, but I cannot. And I will not. In the face of trial. But Peter. Peter failed. Three times. And we can fail as well. Oh Father. Yes we can. Please help us. To be like Peter. After his denials. After he saw. Jesus resurrected. And ascended into heaven. After having the Holy Spirit 
after Pentecost. And with boldness, with courage, with faithfulness, endured until the end. And was able to die for Christ. Even in the midst of the worst trials. Oh, Father, help this church. Help me. Help all of us and all the Christians. We thank you so much. We thank thee so much. For the freedom that we have. And I do not... I'm not referring to the freedom politically and socially that we can open their die scripture and read it. That's a blessing. It's a huge blessing too. I'm talking about the freedom spiritually that we by thy Holy Spirit can open thy scripture and understand it and believe it and hope in the promises of the gospel. That's the greatest freedom of all. Even if we are in chains... Even if we are in prison, even if we are under oppression, we are free because of the Holy Spirit. And your word is free. And that's the beginning, the foundation, the basis for all freedoms that we experience here in the Western world. That the gospel went. Oh God, please give us the same boldness, the same courage. The same perseverance that we saw in our forefathers. Because when I see myself, I cannot do it. I'm too fragile. I'm too weak. I'm too accustomed to the, the life that we have now of freedom, of so good things, of well-being, and an expectancy of life. Oh, Lord, help us. Help us to be strengthened. Help us to be in your word and believe it so that we can also face trials that might come in the future with faithfulness until the end to worship thee. And in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.